Hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with St. Louis over Zoom video. Cameron, aka St. Louis, was born in Liverpool, then moved down to London, spent a majority of his life in London until he went to uni, where he moved back up to Liverpool and attended Sir Paul McCartney's college up in Liverpool. He comes from a musical household. Both his mom and dad are songwriters. His dad is a music teacher for kids and young adults with mental disabilities, which is really a cool thing. So Cameron tells us a little bit of what his dad does, which is super cool. Uh, He started off on drums, ended up going to piano, and then eventually guitar. Talks about writing songs starting around 14 years old, a band he started while in high school. When he moved to go to college for music, he ended up having another band while in college. He talked about two writing sessions he had with Paul McCartney, which is so cool. When he graduated, he spent 18 months basically couch surfing, living on no food, no money, trying to put together a demo to land a publishing deal. He ends up doing so. Like I said, it took him about 18 months. He talks about that experience, writing songs with other people, and eventually starting his now artist project, St. Louis. And he tells us all about the music video and his new song, Debut. You can watch the interview with St. Louis and myself on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with St. Louis. How are you, man? So whereabouts are you? You in Cali or? I actually just moved to Nashville a little over a year ago. My family and I are originally from San Diego, California. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I spent 99% of my life in California between San Francisco and, and San Diego, a little bit in LA. And, uh, now we moved to Nashville and we love it here. Oh, right. I've been to Nashville. Yeah, it's amazing. I came for like a camp, like oh, like a writing camp. Ago. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago, but it was really, really nice. It's beautiful here. We love it. Um, but you're from where? Uh, Liverpool? Is that what I read? I was. Um, yeah. So I live in Liverpool. But okay. I, was, I was I was born there. Um, my parents moved down to London when I was about one. Okay. And, uh, so I grew up in, in Tottenham in London. So How far Tottenham. is London from Liverpool? I, dude, I'm so bad with the ge- geographical. It's like, stuff. it's like, it used to be like a three and a half hour train, but now it's only two, two hours, two hours and a bit. And they sped up the train. It's about 250 miles. It's like halfway up okay. the country from London. Right on. So you were only in Liverpool originally for a year and then you moved down there. Yeah. And then you so moved, but now you moved back yeah I, I moved back for uni so i studied music up there and okay. i have like loads of family up there as well so like it just made sense um and it was yeah it's, it's always been my second home liverpool i've been going back and forth my entire life to visit family and holidays and things like that so there's a lot to do around there for young kids you know what i mean it's like the seaside town kind of sure and the home of the beatles right so obviously exactly. music is huge yeah. <laughs> get a lot of that that's for, for sure, sure. A lot of that. Was that uh, like, how did you get into music or your, is your, uh, do you come from a musical household at all? Or is it just the fact that you live in, you know? Yeah. Liverpool? So both of my parents were, well, still are musicians, songwriters, but they never oh. quite like, they never signed any deals and they never sort of broke into the mainstream in any sort of way, or they just sort of did their own little thing. And so I, I've been surrounded by music my entire life. You know, I was just one of those kids who was kind of born into it in a sort of unofficial way um mm-hmm. and i don't think there was anything i wasn't going to do anything other than music for my entire life you know what i mean it's just the path has kind of been laid out for me and i'm just i'm hanging on for dear life <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure interesting so your parents were songwriters or are songwriters and musicians but that wasn't just that was not their full-time gig no like i mean they've tried to make it their full-time gig for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> they never I mean, had it's difficult, other. obviously. 
they didn't have um any alternative career really my, my, both of well my dad now sort of teaches music kind of um to like dis- di- disabled kids so he like he sings with oh, them that's awesome he helps like the communities and like the under you know kids with with mental disabilities and things like that and he's really good with them like he he works with kids who can can't walk or have like severe levels of autism and things like that and he, and he goes in there and sings songs with them and he gets reactions out of them and it's really like he's got this very very exhausting but incredibly rewarding job that's so um, special that's i've uh two kids actually with autism my older uh, older son and a younger son and uh it's it's we have them in music lessons both of them and it's fascinating because my especially my older one he he doesn't want to practice he hmm. plays guitar like literally he plays guitar for the hour or 30 minutes that the guitar teacher comes every week or he yeah. can spend like 15 minutes before that um practicing whatever he was supposed to learn and he'll just get it like almost immediately and it's like why don't you <laughs> pursue <Yeah>. this <laughs> it's, it's one of those things dude it's like i think kids who are gifted in music i was kind of the same like they don't they think they know it all mm-hmm. and so they don't need to practice you know if they get it right. instantly, it's like well this is easy for me i think that the way to go might be to like genuinely challenge them and bring them something that's really out of their comfort zone uh to really push them because i used to be the same like i never wanted to practice my piano i never wanted to do any of that stuff because it was like oh i can just figure that out by my ear like it's easy uh-huh. to me, you know? yeah uh, because yeah, he'll come in and they'll be like, okay, we're going to learn this part and or a new song. And then he'll go, okay. And like within 10 minutes, he's already got it. And then the teacher's like, oh, okay, well, we'll keep practicing that for next week or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and same with my younger son, he's only six and he can play drums and he, he'll, he'll teach him a beat and he'll remember like next time he comes, he practices more though. He likes it. So when he, like the drum teacher comes back, he can just, he can just play it and it's, mm. it's pretty wild, but um that's so cool that your dad does that because i feel like oh at least with my two boys it's something that like is so, it like resonates in them they can remember it and it, it's such a cool thing it's one of the few mediums like m- music sort of crosses that boundary between let's say neurotypical and neurodivergent people you know mm-hmm. like it, it, it can even bring life back into the eyes of alzheimer's patients and things like that like it's such a it's it's an amazing tool just to 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 connect to people who have lost you know who don't have that connection with like you know the the normality of being like a human being and it's just it's really really great and i've i've seen him i've only seen him do it like a couple of times but from what he tells me he's he's definitely one of the few people in the country i would say who like who's really he's fearless with them uh-huh that's the only way i can put it like he a lot of the tas and like the the assistant helpers that they have that they have to have them there legally in the classrooms whilst uh-huh. he's there they have like quite because he, he deals with quite like it's from like 10 years old to like 18 so he's some of these kids are like stronger than they know strong they right yeah and no they, for sure they, 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 they don't know what they're doing with their body yeah, yeah and they, they right. can be quite rough and but he's really like he, he's so good at just like working with them and he cuts through like his methods are quite unorthodox apparently but that's why he gets hired to do what he does like he's he's like a specialist in this field and like i think he he could be doing like a lot more with it and like he could potentially do a lot more research into it but i think he at the end of the day he just wants to like sing a few songs with them and, and go home and have his have his tea <laughs> sure. wow that's such a cool thing yeah, yeah it's interesting how how powerful music is especially like now that when you're talking i just remembered like my uh, father-in-law had a stroke uh, a couple of years ago. He's doing much better now with therapy and everything. But like when he had the stroke and he kind of like woke up, he didn't know my wife's name. He didn't know like anyone's name. Couldn't remember his own name. Couldn't really remember anything, wow. but he knew all, he would just started singing Beatles songs. Like he loves the Beatles, his favorite band of all time. And he knows all these facts about him and, and everything, but he was singing like a bunch of Beatles songs. Like he was just laying there. He knew, I think he was like conscious of like, but he just couldn't, his brain couldn't mm. say what he, like the people's names or whatever. And he was just sing, he knew all the lyrics, the melody. He remembered all of that. I was just like shocked. Like of all things, like that's the one thing that stayed with him. It's because music is a much more, music came before language. 
in oh, our, interesting in, in terms of like uh human evolution if you believe in that like you know if you think about it like the calling of of another human to another doesn't have to have a language or the song the song doesn't have to have a language it's simply an in-tune thing that people resonate with and it has different interpretations across the globe but uh you know before we could say hello my name is in whatever language you pick like we were mm-hmm. able to sing to our children we were able to call out to other tribes we were able to do all this kind of stuff we were, we were able to hit drums and do all this stuff before language was even developed so i feel like music is ingrained within our dna in a much deeper way than most people care to acknowledge or even you know than they know and we've you know in our modern western society and societies across the world now we've developed an incredibly complex way of breaking down and manipulating music to be like this this thing that we know today but yeah it's definitely a primal thing it's not that's why that's a great point yeah that's that's so interesting because i'm not a professor I, but like it's no but it, it sounds like something would be a it. great study yeah right i mean the fact that he could do that and know like the lyrics and the melodies and just like that 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 stuck with him no mm-hmm. matter what and he was able to just sing these songs it, it was just so bizarre and he doesn't remember it i mean my wife mm-hmm. recorded him doing it because she's like you know, she didn't know what was going to happen with him. So she's like, well, at least I'll have these, you know, recordings of him singing. It's just crazy. That's but a um, magical moment, though. It's like, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. You get um, lots of stories of that, though. You hear people like if you if you play somebody like an old person with Alzheimer's, for example, like an old song from their past that, you know, they loved someone who has been, you know, unresponsive for years because they're so, you know, they're so damaged by this illness. They can all of a sudden interact with the world and they light up and they understand the surroundings and they're like, they're back in the room where they first heard that song and they're back in the, you know, the club back in the day. Right. Right. Amazing thing. I mean, it happens to people all the time. I mean, even in my own daily life, you'll hear a song and it'll be like this nostalgia, like, Oh, like I, you could remember like where you were when that song played for the first time or whatever, like you hold like uh, songs with certain time periods of your life mm-hmm absolutely it's, yeah it's so cool um but yeah anyway back to you i'm sorry <laughs> I yeah, ran cool. there. Like, like i love that but um so like you tangent. yeah yeah so you obviously got into music as you come from a musical household what was the first instrument you learned uh the first instrument that i touched and sort of gravitated towards was actually the drums um i remember quite vividly my dad taking me to a studio somewhere in like Stoke Newington in London and just like whilst he was engineering for some band I just sort of went over to the drum kit and started playing some stuff and then I sort of used to go to that studio on and off when I was very young I'm talking about four or five years old Mm -hmm. and then we didn't have a drum kit in the house so that kind of died down for a bit but I was always playing like strumming my dad's guitar when it was on the stand and stuff but not really being allowed to like touch it because I didn't know how to use it properly Mm -hmm. and finally my mum convinced me to get piano lessons um so i started learning classical piano when i was about eight or nine and that was the first like lessons that i had and like starting to understand you know what crotchets were or quarter notes as you call them and mm-hmm. like understanding music theory for the first time and around the same time like nine ten my dad got a drum kit in the house uh, and then i started playing the guitar because my hands are big enough and i started getting my my head around music as a whole so it was sort of those three starting with pianos, like piano and drums at the same time, and then gu- guitar around the age of 11. And I'm just, yeah, it went from there, really. Wow. And were you uh, writing songs or did you join the school uh, band or anything like that? Yeah. So I went to this school called Highgate Wood. And at the time it was still, it had a really good performing arts department. It was known as a performing arts school. It's mm-hmm. not anymore. They got rid of the, uh, that that name for some reason um but yeah so I, I i managed to get in because simply based on my musical knowledge because i was outside of the catchment area like highgate woods and quite like a nice area of london and i grew up in like quite a, a rough and ready part in tottenham and uh, i wasn't initially supposed to be getting in but because my grades were good enough and because my musical ability was good enough they were like oh he can he can play and he can sing and He's a, you can dance a little bit and all. so they were like oh we have a department for you we have like special it's kind of like affirmative action think of it like that 
sure they, grant, they granted it to me because i was you know i was talented in those departments mm-hmm. so uh yeah I, I i joined bands um i went to this specific saturday school um at gladesmore uh school which is in tottenham they had this uh it was like a a government funded uh it's like like a borough funded arts thing called the haringey young musicians and i used to i was in like a band there and i played guitar and that was my first experience playing with the band you know learning how to play off each other not really knowing what i was doing thinking i was better than everyone else smashing (laughs) the drums turning the distortion all the way up on, on the amp trying to play you know purple haze and all that kind of stuff and yeah that that was that was good fun man that's where it happened wow and you were writing songs at this point or no i was i started writing at the age of 14 i remember i wrote my first song at the age of 14 i can't really remember how it goes i can kind of remember the the chords and the melody ish but it wasn't very good I, i was into like I've always been into like very complex forms of music so i've been into like metal death metal prog rock classical and jazz and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. my stuff at that time all i was listening to was muse muse oh. and jeff buckley and metal so it was going to be like really sad and quite like complicated chord structures and radiohead-esque and i i couldn't sing at all like i wasn't born like some people are born with voices right yeah or they're born with a, like a cool sounding voice right yeah, or like they, they, they're muscles there you know some some, some guys are have big shoulders some girls have like wider hips you know i think the vocal cords are it's a bit of a genetic lottery when it comes to that kind of thing right Mm -hmm. and and uh, i wasn't born with the 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 muscular cords that's for sure so i was just listening back to my old demos man i cringe so hard because it's just like at 14 years old especially that time when like your voice is breaking as a male (laughs) sure (laughs) i i used to have like a high voice and then my falsetto was okay and then I had to relearn to sing again. And I was still, I was really bad anyway. So I was like below par and then pushed even more below par. And so hit puberty and it was, right. it was fun. But yeah, I, I, I was writing songs from 14. Like I started producing at the same age, actually. Because my dad. Oh, really? Was, yeah, my dad was doing a lot of uh, production work for like local bands and stuff. We worked with a local band called Wireless and loads of other people like around like North London, East London. And uh, one day I just said, can I use your computer to make some music? And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure. And so he literally showed me how to use Logic in the most basic way. Here's how the MIDI works. Here's how to record audio. There you go. And then he walked out the room and I was just like, cool. Now I could do some cool shit. And uh, sorry, I didn't, am I allowed to swear? No, yeah, you can swear. Right, yeah. Now, now I can make some, some music. And it, it took me a couple of goes to really get into the flow and all of a sudden I could just program. I could just do it. Cause you know, when, when, when young kids get a grip of things, it, yeah, it, our, our brains are like sponges at that age. You know? Right. I, it just I, resonates I, with them. I took to it like water and I was in my dad's back room most weeks, just like making really weird tunes that like of like strange chords and weird melodies and strange logic stock sounds that don't make sense. And it was like, you know, stuff from like computer games. Because I I used to play well I still play a lot of computer games but that's where a lot of my influences came from uh, as well as you know listening to my mum's and my dad's back catalogue of, of their music and what they used to listen to a lot of mm-hmm. stuff um, but yeah so producing and writing started young relatively speaking about fourteen and I was just making loads of electronic music which is some of it's actually kind of good like I've got a lot of the old stuff backed up. Uh-huh. Um, I transferred it to my laptop like not too long ago and I was listening to it and I was like I actually saved some patches you know there's this, yeah. this one patch in Logic which I found which is a beautiful like it's like a poly synth pad but it's really warm mm-hmm. and uh, I just saved that shit I was like yeah man I had ears back then you know I knew what yeah. was okay you might need to pull that thing out sometime yeah, you know yeah. what I mean like you're like I, oh this might work I, I use it in everything I use it in everything if I'm, oh, if I'm really? layering, okay. if, I, if I'm layering up pads in the song I will use a combination of that pad. I, I labeled it pads from heaven because it sounds so good. <laughs> pads from heaven, and I'll use a Mellotron and then I'll use uh, an organ and I'll mix them all together to have just a, like a backbone of harmony if I'm, if I'm making something now. So you, you, you never know what you might find when you dig, you know, if you go back in time and dig some stuff up. Sure. That's interesting. And with that, were you showing people your songs or yeah, is it I mean, kind of I, for your own thing? I had a close knit. The fact the friends that I hung out with them and still the friends I had back in school, I still I'm I'm friends with them still. Um, 
I used to make music with a friend called Rufus. He's uh he's an animator now, but we had this project called Every Red Power Ranger. You can find it on SoundCloud as well. It's still there. <laughs> That's such a rad name. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was funny because we heard some internet rumor that all the all the actors who ended up playing every like the Red Power Rangers, they ended up doing like gay porn. And oh. that, we just thought that was really funny. So we just of course project every Red Power Ranger, right? That's so funny. I didn't know that. that. Oh, <laughs> man. 15 year old stoned out of our minds and going, oh, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just uh, we made some really ridiculous music that doesn't make any sense. And it's hard to listen to. And it's just sketchbook stuff, I'd say. Uh, but that was really fun. And then me and him were also in a band called Acrylics, which I sort of wrote and arranged everything for. That's like, that was like Foo Fighters, but really progressive. Like, so weird time signatures, five, six minute songs. Their harmony was completely whack and really weird and jazz and jazzy with like horrendously recorded vocals and just like, <laughs> like a 16 year old just trying to make like punk rock with like too many chords, essentially. That's what it was. That's a good name too, though acrylics yeah 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 well when you're that young and you're that obsessed with like music and you and you know that's what you want to do you, oh, we, we passed the name around the whole band you know i mean we did a couple of shows but it, it wasn't like a thing it was too hard to run i couldn't sing but yeah i did like that name and you, you never know i might bring some of the old ideas back Right. It's funny how, because the name is so important. And I, I've talked to other people that like, when it comes to the band, like you spend a lot of time on the, like the flyers and the logo. It's like, you don't even have a name or you don't even have music yet, but it's like, we got to have the coolest name. We got to have the coolest logos. We got to have the coolest artwork. And like mm -hmm. it, it, that it just becomes, oh yeah. And we also have to write some songs, yeah, but it sounds like you had the songs <laughs> and then like acrylics is a, just a solid name. Yeah. Same with every red power ranger. That's a good one too. It sticks, yeah. That's <laughs> it definitely funny. had a thing to it. Yeah, yeah. So then you ended up going to school for music? Is that's what you said? You moved back yeah. up to Liverpool to go to yeah, school? Yeah, so I, I studied at this uni called Lippa. And it's like, it's well known in the UK in like music circles. It's kind of like a, a pop music and a sort of like a pop rock and kind of jazz specialist school. It's a performing oh, arts cool. college, essentially. And it was set up by Paul McCartney himself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of the school. Um, yeah, yeah. The 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 husband and wife in Saint Lucia went there. Oh, did they? Yeah, they went there. That's, oh, the only, okay. that's how I found out about it. They were telling me about it, and they said Paul McCartney shows up to the. Okay, I've got questions just based off their their <laughs> their what they were saying. He goes to the graduation ceremony. Did you have this experience? I met him personally. He, he does a songwriting thing, right? Did you get to do a, yeah. a songwriting thing with him? I actually got double the sessions with him because I wrote that oh. many songs. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to hear this because I told them, I'm like, I will go back to college just to meet him. And I said, or I'm going to figure out when the, you guys graduate and just like, you know, somehow sneak into the graduate, the next graduation, just so do I can it. like meet him. <laughs> the security is not that hard. You, you'll manage. That's yeah, so, so crazy. Okay, well, so you went there. The way they do it is essentially like the third year songwriters get to meet him. Like it's not really, it's not a competition. You just, if you, if you do third year songwriting and you turn up and you write good songs, you get to do a little, he gives you like half an hour max with him in a room and he just gives you some feedback on the songs. It's, it's literally like, I don't know, are you a writer yourself? Do you make music? Oh, I'm just a massive fan. I've, and, and, and I found my way into the industry was through radio and conversation. So I did terrestrial radio for like 17 years. Oh, right. I tried to, I tried to write songs when I was younger in high school and, you know, a little bit out of that, but it was never anything, never a thing that I ever saw as like something I could do. I wasn't good enough. I knew enough people around me that were doing it, not even to like a super high level, but I was like, yeah, I should probably just figure out another way into this industry. <laughs> the, the thing with Paul was just like a normal writing session. Like you'd bring him, like, I remember I played him a couple of songs. Uh, I did one song with this girl called Holly Ellison with a song called Dutch Courage, which was about being too drunk all the time. <laughs> and, uh, he, 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 it was like a normal writing session. He just said, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that lyric. Maybe you should finish it like this. Maybe you should add some ooze here. And it was just really surreal because I've been listening to this dude's music since I was in the womb. And right. I mean, he's the cool. biggest songwriter of all time. Yeah. I and he's wrote, I mean, he's wrote more hits than anyone. 
Yeah. Real, realistically, I mean, it's insane. Yeah, he's um, a legend, absolute legend. Okay, when you go to meet him, like, are you? You must have been nervous. Like, are you nervous I, going in and being like, okay, I'm going to sit with Paul. At least I would be. I'm going to sit with Paul McCartney. I don't really like get and star show him my and show him my music. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really like a starstruck type guy. I mean, it was it was nervous because it was like, oh, it's him, but he's just a human being, you know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, at 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 the time, I, my friends were freaking out. That was yeah. that was the funniest thing for me. But I think because I've got such a massive ego myself, like I just feel like I belong there anyway. I've got like a <laughs> got a massive head, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I should be doing. I should be hanging out with Paul freaking McCartney. Like, <laughs> right, right. Oh my God. I would have brought all my, I would have brought the 37 Beatles vinyls I have. I'd have been like, here, I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes just chatting with you. <laughs> yeah. Sign records. I'm sure he's had, he's had that experience. You know what I mean? So I, I made sure I wasn't too like overbearing. I didn't ask him too many questions. I was just polite and nice. And sure. You, you played it cool. You sounds like you played it cool for me. I would, I've met a lot of my heroes aside from him. And most of the time I'm that I'm like, I got to play it cool. But if it was the a beat, if it was him, I wouldn't been. Uh, there's no way I would have been able to play it cool. A beetle, been, an actual living, I, breathing beast. I mean, my sister's name is Abby from Abbey road record. Like I grew up, that was it. Like the Beatles were like the thing. And like I said, I've been, I have so much like useless Beatles memorabilia. It's, uh, it's sickening. So like, if I got to meet him, I'd be like, yeah, we're going to spend 30 minutes just talking about how much yeah, I'm, just like I'm one obsessed of the, with you. One of the best freaking bands of all time, man. I'll, I'll salute that. Like I'm, I'll listen to Revolver, Sergeant Peppers still. What's your favorite uh, album? Revolver. That's funny that you brought that one up because I think it has the least amount of like radio success. I mean, success hit hits. Oh, commercial man. success, yeah. Yeah, commercial success. But that's my favorite record from them. She Says, She Says is my favorite Beatles song from that album. Oh, it's a tune now. Um, and I like Something is probably my favorite Beatles song, mm. even though it's like a pretty massive, you know, hit on that end but i really liked all george harrison songs to be honest yeah um but he's not alive so i would nerd out hard on paul mccartney <laughs> and he gets all the love that john and george can't get right now right right <laughs> you know, he gets the extra uh, icing on the cake sure okay that's so crazy so you met him mm-hmm. um you got to work with him i mean for at least you said you got two sessions with him yeah, because I, I wrote that many songs and I collaborated with that many people. That um, there was a girl who I worked with called Hannah. So we did a we performed a song for him. Oh yeah, we didn't just show them the song like we sung it to him. That's so crazy. I was sitting there with, with a guitar while Holly was doing the main vocal and I was doing some harmonies. And because I've got quite a high range, I'm like singing on top of the girls. And he made a remark. He's like, "Oh, you, you, usually the guys sing underneath the girls." I was like, "Yeah, well, I've got to practice your falsetto, man." Like, You'll get them one day, Paul. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll teach you how to do it after this show. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, yeah. And uh, then the second one was just with Hannah. So it was actually quite a funny moment. Like, get this right. I knew Hannah was coming in after me because they did both of my sessions, one after the other. And I was just standing in the room. Like, Holly left, and I was waiting for Hannah to come in. And then Paul was like, the door's there, mate. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm, I've, I've got another session with you. It's like, Oh, okay. So I love, you know, like, oh, that's so talk. funny. But I bet he thought I was one of those weird, like super fans that just wanted to like I don't know, stare at him. Uh, I had something in my coat that I shouldn't have. I don't know. That's so you funny. You didn't even get like a security check on anything, by the way. I, I remember now, like they didn't check us or search our bags or anything. They were just like going with Sir Paul. That's so wild, man. Maybe like, he was wearing a bulletproof vest or something. Or I don't know. Probably. Right. <laughs> he's that big. Like I mean, he's him. like like le- legit, like one of the big. I mean, the most famous people there are, like on the planet. Like it, yeah. That's that's so cool that you had that experience. And then he shows up to the graduation, which I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta sneak into this. How many kids are graduating in the school? Uh, there's like two fifty to three hundred kids in the class in a year, so it's like, is it roughly about fifty kids per per course? Um, music uh, drama uh, music theater entertainment management Mm -hmm. music like 
sound technology and there's like theater like production design course they do a whole course and like being backstage and building sets and things like that. oh that's rad and he's and he's oh, there at all of them and he sh- and he yeah. just shakes your hand when you go across the stage yeah that's his thing that's his role oh man i'm going i'm sneaking and, in and <laughs> do it do it i'm sneaking in okay well uh wow that's incredible so you went to that school and then from there you obviously picked up a bunch of knowledge and then do you i wonder how many songs that come out of that like become like a hit i love lipa yeah like out of those sessions with paul mccartney i don't think any of them have really there's not like one that comes out and they go oh this is part of the some people have released them as like oh this is the one that i did with paul mccartney but like it takes more than that to like get a hit song right in age even when i graduated but like the industry has changed so much that's like yeah i don't think sure. songs have like done that well done but anything most of the songs that people wrote at lipa have stayed in lipa like i i i the only songs that i released were, that i wrote there were the ones with my band and i don't play with that band anymore and i don't really listen okay. to that stuff anymore sure you, you kind of grow and you sort of get on with things at least i do anyway i don't like looking back too far right 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 so once you finished you had a band there when you're going to school there and i had you... a band called native kings yeah I, I still play with them now they're still my rhythm section in in st louis but like um yeah it's that just fell apart because i didn't want to just do rock music for the rest of my life okay watch out so when you graduate, what I mean, I know you've worked with with big name artists as well, like a songwriter and producer. Like, so did you graduate and then like, so tell me, what did you graduate with a degree in? And then how did your career progress from there? So I graduated with a degree in music and I basically got snapped up by management who I'm still with now. Oh wow! Uh, so I I went in for a little interview, little meeting with my manager, and um, he was like, "Well, what do you want from us?" And I said, "Well, I want a publishing deal, and I want to want to get into songwriting, and I want to live off my songs." Mm-hmm. And so he was like, "Yeah, we can do that, but it's going to take about nine months, and you're going to have to probably you're going to need to put together a show reel. We have a studio here that you can use, which I'm still in now." Oh wow! I, I lived there actually, and. Um, he was like, yeah, you can use the studio as much as you want to make sure you get that show ready. We'll set you up with as many sessions as we can. But because you don't have any sort of profile and you're just fresh out of uni, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of grind. So be prepared for that. And he also said, oh, yeah, and I, d- I suggest you don't get a job because otherwise you're going to be too tired and too busy to actually work on music. So I was like, huh, no money to pay rent. Need to find a show reel. Don't really have anywhere to sleep just graduated what am i going to do right so i basically couch surfed for about five six months um so say i graduated in may june of 2016 Mm -hmm. and then i first of all stayed like two months on the couch with my drummer he was away for the first month and then him and he let me stay for another month free of rent because i didn't i wasn't making any money (laughs) Mm -hmm. right Um, I was just trying to come up with stuff and do sessions and work with as many people as I could. And then I got shifted out of there to my friend's basement, uh, Sievert, who's a Norwegian. There's a huge Norwegian community at Lippa, by the way. And I managed, huh. to, I managed to befriend quite a lot of them. I love the Norwegians. They're really, really nice people, actually. Um, and I, I sort of, I dosed around in their basement for about five months. I would, they, they just had this spare living space with a couch and i would just use it and then i'd use the shower when i could and then i like every day well most days um i would just mosey on down to my studio and try and work or like do the little sessions that i could i was getting bits and pieces of paid work here and there but i wasn't bringing any money in so i was virtually i was living on like marmite and toast uh rivita and peanut butter and porridge and like lentils and just like completely just on my ass really for about six months. And then I was, I got this one job with this girl band um, and I got about, I got just under a grand for it for like a couple of singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just enough for me to put like a, a deposit down for a, a room uh, just outside the city in Croxteth or in, in Toxteth. And um, it, this was in Liverpool, by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it was... I was pretty, I was 
officially, I'd say homeless between May 2016 until December 2016. And I was just on my feet. My parents don't have any money, so I couldn't ask them for anything. They'd, they'd be able to give me like, you know, 20, 50 pounds, like here and there. But I was just sort of living on nothing day to day and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Um, and then I started living in this really cheap room um, from December 2016 for about 18 months. Wow. And then, and then I managed to like, by then I'd pretty much gotten my showreel together a few months after that. Um, and I managed to get a publishing deal. I managed to sign a publishing deal. That's huge. About, about 18 months after I graduated. So there was a lot of couch surfing. There was a lot of um, umming and ahhing. But I, I, I never, I never, I never got down about it. I, ne- I was never like, oh, I'm never going, I'm not going to do music. It was just like, well, I have to get up and I have to do my thing now. You know, it was, I, I never gave up. That's uh-huh. the one thing. Like I never, this is all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, there's there's no day job. I can't. Right. Do. I'll starve before I have a day job. I don't think about the world like that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you get the publishing deal, and then uh, what would you say? Like aside, I mean, that's a huge milestone moment. I'm it sure is, yeah. for you in your life, obviously. And what it would you was, say then? Yeah. yeah. So tell me about that. Like you, you've worked so hard. It's been 18 months. You've been eating porridge and you know lentils and scraping by and living on people's couches, and then you get this publishing deal. And tell me about that moment. So I remember I met Charlie from Yard. I'm actually in one of the writing rooms now because I'm still published by them. Um, so I'm in London now, and yeah, I remember he came up to Liverpool to see my showreel. I think I had about five or six songs played in a couple of the songs from the girl band that I said I was working with that managed to get me that place. And uh, he was really impressed. And he said, why don't you come down for a riding camp and we'll see how it goes. So I, you know, booked a train and a month later I was writing songs with some of their writers here who I still have a good relationship with now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was great. Like it was the first time I was put into a, you know, like an industry standard professional writing camp scenario where like you essentially, I do what I do now, but like it was the first time I did it where like I, I work with the artists and I come up with like virtually a finished record on the day. Cause that's the standard. That's what we do. Do you know what I mean? Like we, right, up, right. Write, we write the song, we produce the, the, the beat or like the backing to it. And we try to get it as finished as we can in, in one day, one day. Speaking. Um, so that was a learning curve and I had to learn quick, but uh, yeah. So I did the writing camp. They loved the tunes that I did. They could see the promise in me. And then a couple months later I put pen to paper and that was it. And then wow. finally, finally, I was able to like um, live off, you know, my my songs and they, they give me an advance. And that's how I, you know, that's how I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first cut you had? Or like, was there a moment like you got to kind of or somebody bought your song or like an artist put a song on hold? I can't actually remember what my first cut was. I think it might have been some K. No, it wasn't a K-pop thing. I got this song. Um, my first notable cut was this song uh, that I wrote with a girl called Sorana, who's now in LA. She she wrote. Have you heard "Heartbreak Anthem" by Little Mix? Yes. Yeah, she wrote that. Oh wow! <laughs> that was done in house here, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like there was a, a couple of producers I know who worked on it. It's like between LA and here, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, me and Serrano are good friends and she she came up to Liverpool one time and we were just writing and we wrote this song called Hold Your Kite for uh, this artist called Goldfish. And initially it was just like for her, like she just wanted to write a song and we came up with this ballad. And I remember her saying it initially, it's like, oh, this sounds too like too poppy, it's too boy bandy, I don't really like the melodies. And I was like, okay. And then like a couple months later after I sent over the demo, which was just piano and vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got this bite from uh, a D- these DJs called uh, Goldfish, and they're from South Africa. They've had like quite a big, like they had a hit, like a huge one a few years ago. I can't remember what it was called, but they were releasing a new album, and it turned out to be like that. Like our song was like the biggest track on that album. That's huge. I mean, it only did like maybe like ten million streams or something like that. But for me, <laughs> it was like only like, ten million, like that's crazy. Yeah, that's like good. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm really happy with that one. Um, so I think that was my first like notable one 
and you know writers like myself we always get ones that sort of you know you, you never really know people release music all the time like and some of it goes under the radar and some of it mm -hmm. might it might blow up in 10 years time you never know you know how tiktok works it's like yeah that i've never been heard of before i've just been like like up. kate bush running up that hill is like one of the biggest songs on there right now because of uh like stranger things or something i was like wait what <laughs> like that's yeah, no, so bizarre I'm, I'm i'm a massive kate bush fan and i think that's really funny because there was a meme going around about like there's a picture of this kind of alternative looking girl being like kate like zuma fucking kate bush friends telling you that like their music taste is elite or something and she's just like <laughs> you don't know about kate bush because she heard it on the freaking tiktoks like right i was listening to kate bush when i was a kid from like the actual cds Do you know what cd yeah right no, that's so <laughs> funny I, I just thought that was so random because do you know the artist meg myers uh no I'm uh, really she, bad with new music. Uh, she was kind of new. It. I mean, she's a newer artist. Uh, like, in like 2008, maybe it's 2018, 2019. She covered that song, and all it right. became a hit on alternative radio. And I was like, and it was I was working in alternative radio at the time. And I was like, that's a random song. To, I mean, like, not that Kate Bush isn't is random, but it was just like of all people, like to do that song and then have it become a hit. I, and then and then I saw like recently, I'm like, how did this other Kate like how did the original become a hit on TikTok? I, whoever owns the licenses to that song or whoever that whoever publishes that song has been doing a really good job since its conception. Cause like that song was huge on a on a TV show called The OC. Do you remember the OC? Oh yeah. Yeah, that song was big on that. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember the show. I don't remember the, hearing the song on the show, but that's Running crazy. Running Up That Hill was, was like a big sync on that on that series. And also, what's that band? I think Placebo did a version of it as well. Placebo oh, did they? Did a version of Running Up I love Placebo. That band's awesome. Yeah, so they, it, that tune has just been like coming in and out and in different versions for a long time. It must just have a thing. It's got that hit quality, clearly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's cool. I'm going to look up that Placebo version. Do it. The one thing, I, the only thing I remember from OC is Phantom Planet doing the intro. What's that? The band Phantom Planet. Dun, 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 dun. They did. They, oh yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. wrote that song in the beginning. California. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jason Schwartzman was the drummer of the band. The actor, you know who he is? No. If you saw his picture, you'd know. He's in uh, like Sideways. He's in. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else. Like. He's kind of a goofy looking guy. He's got like a mole right here, kind of a bigger nose, <laughs> dark brown hair. I'm sure I'd recognize him. If you saw him, he, he's like a pretty, he's a notable actor that if you saw him, you'd recognize him. And he was the drummer of that band. Oh, and right. obviously his, his acting career took off, but uh, that's funny. So, okay. So you had that cut. That's amazing. And then like, from what I was reading about, you done this stuff with like uh, Ava Max and, and David Guetta. Like, are those things that also happen later down the line? Yeah. So I got the A and R team for Guetta and and Ava Max are basically the same people. Okay. They have like there's a very close knit uh, network at Atlantic. I think it's mm -hmm. Atlantic US, which is owned by Warner, um, and so they have camps here. And they have camps at Talia because they have a really good relationship with with Talyard. And so, I, you know, David Guetta had a camp here like a couple of years ago or like, eight, you know, but before COVID, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was pulled along to like help write some hits for them. Do you know what I mean? And we, we had like it was like there was a there was an Avamax camp and then a David Guetta camp that we did. And um, we got some really, really good songs out of it. Um they they do these camps like all over the world, but it's it's all it's just so nice. I don't really think about it when it's happening, but like looking back, it's like, oh yeah, they actually like requested me to be on this camp and like, yeah, that's huge like, to write for, for these songs for, for, for these two songs. massive artists. Because I've been I've been I literally have the messages from like Derulo's A and R, being like, oh yeah, can you make these changes to this song? Like the song, the 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 song never came out, but it's just like it's such a surreal thing to like actually be talking to these guys and having these conversations and, and like, it's nice. That, that is part of what I do. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. 
you know, in a, in a couple of years or maybe tomorrow, like one of these changes is going to be like a massive hit. So we're, we're always playing like a game of a game of gamble, a game of chess. And it's just got to keep your head down and stay in the game for as long as you can, you know? Yeah. And you have a song out of your, you started your own artist project or came out at St. Louis. This is your thing with debut. Yeah. St. Louis is me. St. Louis is like my thing. So like mm-hmm. when I quit the band, when I quit Native Kings back in, oh God, I don't even know, 2017, 2018, I just decided that like, I went to go see Bruno Mars in Birmingham and like, it just changed my whole perspective on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve as a, as an artist. And yeah, it just made me realize that I could just be having so much more fun doing a much wider range of music and just going full on into pop mode than just doing this alternative rocky stuff that was destroying my ears and destroying my voice. So <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I made the decision to quit the band and I didn't think it was really going anywhere anyway. Um, and I started making demos for St. Louis and I'm, we've been gigging it and it's, you've seen, I assume you've seen the video. Yeah. 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 So I, I put that together all myself. I, I, I wrote debut with a couple of friends here. Uh, but I produced it myself. Um, we've got like basically a whole album's worth of material that's kind of waiting to see the light of day. But uh, these things, you know, they take time. And at the moment, we're just trying to push debut on socials as much as we can and, you know, promote it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, St. Louis is like my my main baby at the moment. Interesting. So you made, you said you uh, created the video yourself? Like, tell me about that. So I, I came up with the, the concept. Okay. I came up with the treatment. Initially, we were going to do it like with loads of CGI, but that would have been way too expensive. Um, I met a director called Andy James Taylor, who's an incredibly talented independent filmmaker. And he just happened to be there at one of my gigs last year, like just out of lockdown post-COVID. Liverpool, like we, I had a show in Liverpool on the Shankly rooftop. Shankly is like a really famous hotel in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we just played to a bunch of people and he, Andy happened to be there. And so he came up to me after the gig and he was like, that was amazing. I really love your music, blah, blah, blah. We should do something together. And I was like, well, I've got this kind of mental vi- video idea, which is just like completely, you know, out of my budget, but I want to do it. So... <laughs> uh i i just stayed in touch with him and we went for coffee and i explained what i wanted to do and him and i sort of curated the team like we we put together we got a makeup artist we got a costume designer we got the venues we got the entire crew um he already had a director of photography that he uses all the time called mike donaghy who did a really good job he was holding the camera and he did a lot of the final edits with us as well but yeah it was kind of it's basically it was all out of my own independent budget which i scrounged together through you know releasing records and and producing for people and just doing my day-to-day songwriting stuff and i just sunk it all back into this video and sunk it all back into my own thing and now i've um it's a cool video i mean she's the costume that the the girl has with the thing over it was designed by a girl called hannah bridges she's amazing who also yeah So she, she the, the, we found her because she was doing her masters at Lipper and Andy reached out because he was just looking for costume designers. And he, I think he must have just come across her Instagram or something. And she happened to have just dropped her final like she was she had plans to make this final piece for her masters uh, and she fell out with the client or something. And so initially she, she said no. And then we came back three weeks later for some reason being like, are you sure you're going to say no? And she was like, actually, I'm free now. I want to do it. Love the idea. So I, I, oh, had, wow. I had concept art made and everything. Like you can go on my Insta, you can see like um, I had concept art made with like the mask and stuff and brought the headpiece and how I wanted the set to look and stuff like that. Yeah. With the candles and like that you're walking up to yeah the yeah. her there and there's like this, the side things with the candles all over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like very sort of ritualistic, which is uh-huh. quite funny. Um, yeah. We, we had so much fun shooting that video. Hannah did an amazing job in the costume. The actual headpiece was designed by a, a Samba costume designer called Ila Layla. 
Um, so the, the, the headpiece frame is actually like quite a traditional Samba headpiece. Oh, interesting. With the mesh pulled forward a little bit. Cause I, you know, I wanted to be quite Lovecraftian and quite yeah, uh, have her face covered a bit. Yeah. Because the girl who's in the video is a good friend of mine, but she's also like an artist in her own right. So if her face was all like, she, she doesn't mind sharing it and she doesn't mind people knowing it's her, but she's also trying to have her own career. So if it was just her face, there, it would have been a bit obvious and i wanted the, their face to be covered anyway because i think it adds to the uh the mystery and the, the sort of haunting dark nature of the video sure i completely agree yeah it's a cool vid- it's such a cool video um and is the band in the video is that your backing band yeah so the the guys who that there's like band shots and there's story shots um a lot of the people a couple of people who are in the band shots aren't actually in the band they were just there to like look cool but it's because like, there's you, a you have a big band i mean there's like 10 people or something on the stage they're like yeah, yeah. in that red room right we, we usually perform with about with at least six so oh wow like me the two girls like minimum two girls mm-hmm. uh, the, the backing singers or the other girls yeah, yeah, sing? Yeah. okay vocalists yeah, okay yeah. the backing singers but because it's such a vocal heavy music and i think like people I think being more inclusive and not making it so much about me because it is about me. Like I write everything and I arrange everything and I do that kind of stuff myself. Mm-hmm. When I, I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious of presenting it in a way that it is a community project and it is like a, it's a labor of love driven project. And I understand that like it would never have been possible without those girls. Like they're a very, they're a very important part of the sound. And I love them to pieces and they're so beautiful and they're so, they're just, they have this presence, you know, and I just want, I think, I just think there's nothing cooler than like going up on stage and like, or at least seeing someone perform on stage and they've got like shit hot backing singers. And when we do, we, ha- we haven't performed like a show where like they're wearing the suits, but they will be doing a show with the suits because I think that just looks really, really cool. I had to buy that like specifically. Like that's cool them. but yeah we i sorted all that out that was all like independently funded from me somehow i don't know <laughs> well it's yeah. a cool video man it's awesome and uh i love what you're doing with the song and uh you said you have a whole album sort of stuff to put out yeah we've got like the next singles um pretty much like p- planned out i'm just trying to figure out like which order we want to do it in because we've got this really big song called parachute which is like, it's just huge. It's just like a, I can't wait for people to hear it. And I need to like conceive another music video idea. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with a treatment for that. And like, I'm, I'm going to start talking to Andy about it in the next couple of months. Going to finish the song and get it mixed and mastered and then move on to like, hopefully another epic video shoot. Because I do want to like, make sure that I keep the consistency there, you know, which is yeah. expensive, but Again, like I said before, I'd rather starve than, you know, have a day job and do something boring for a living. So, Sure, sure. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, bro. I'll, I'll be back again if you want me. <laughs> oh, I would love to have you back again. And if you ever are, find yourself in Nashville again, I'd love to hang. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll hit you up on socials and stuff. and We can do all that stuff. If I'm in Nashville, we'll definitely do that. Can we do like an in-person? No, I would love to do an in-person thing. That'd be killer. Awesome. Cool, man. Thank you. So I have one more quick question before I let you go, Cameron. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Uh, My advice is... There's a lot of advice. Avoid unnecessary chemical-based pleasures. I'm sober. I have been for two and a half years. Really? Oh, let's have another ha- have handful conversation here. Cause so am I. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And you too. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so I cool. D- I don't drink anymore. I can't do it. I mean, I can, but it's just, it's not, it's not my drug. I mean, right. I don't, I don't do anything now, but like I, I realized that I'd been drinking to get drunk since the age of like 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Same my, here. My late teens were full of like alcohol abuse and smoking a lot of weed and mm-hmm. doing a lot of hallucinogenics and 
that kind of stuff, which is fun. I, I mean, I had a good time. Don't get me wrong, but I, I woke up like at the end of 2019 and I just, I had a, not so much a rude awakening. I was just like, I'd realized that my mental health had gotten to the point where I'd just run it completely ragged. And I didn't think there was any way, any way back. And a friend just said, look, why don't you just try and not drink for a bit? It helped me out. So I started, I had one last blowout on uh, New Year's Eve, 2019. And then on the 1st of January, 2020, I just was like, okay, today's the day. 2020 is the year Cameron gets sober. And I did it. I just did it. Wow, man. Congratulations, especially in that timing. Uh, what a time to stop drinking, right? When everyone, now you're stuck in the house, the world's chaotic, and the fact that you were able to continue on, especially in those first three, four, five, six months. I mean, that's the rough time. And dude, I wrote that great job, man. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was it wasn't so much like uh, I was just losing days, man, like losing days to hangovers. And it's not like I I'm not one of those people that has like a super addictive personality. Like I could go days without a drink. I could go weeks without a drink. It wouldn't bother me saying no to a night out would be like, well, OK, whatever. But it was after I had that one beer, just after I had that one drink, that one G&T, that one vodka, that one thing. And if you know a switch flicked in my head and all of a sudden i was like it's party time right i have to just get on it I yeah right in. i have to get let's let's get some coke in let's get some freaking mm -hmm. whatever i can get my hands on and then just party until 11 a.m the next day and then i wake up with no money in my bank account a splitting headache and despair through the floor like i would just be <laughs> a complete mess and i just wouldn't want to work and i wouldn't want to be around people and it made me aggressive and made me antisocial and I nearly lost friends. I nearly like hurt friends, like physically hurt people when I was drinking, like just because I was an idiot and I didn't know myself. You know, I had to ha I had to make a lot of humble and sort of embarrassing apologies to people that I offended on nights out and being like, look, that's I, I know you know that's not me, but like that's not me. And I can't believe I did that. And it happened on several occasions. And I'm just so glad I I say goodbye to that, you know, because I don't need it. Right. You know? That's amazing, I, dude. Yeah. The amends. Oh, the amends. Yeah. <laughs> You've got, you got to. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do a 12 step program or anything like that. I just went cold turkey and it was fine. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't hard. Like I, I can be around people who, who are drinking. I can be around people who are doing drugs. There's a lot of drugs in the industry. There's a lot of people who like to party. There's, and that's fine. You do you in moderation, go for it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, just I don't I don't need it. I'm I'm the guy who's just having tap water on a night out, and it's not because I'm skinny anymore. <laughs> it's just because I'd rather just I like having something in my hand. Right, right. That's uh, I always. I don't just... even like fizzy drinks. Do you know what I mean? So it's just. Oh, like... okay. See, I do. I can do the soda water, uh, and if I if it's gonna get if it's a wild night, I might just do diet coke. Who knows where the where the night will take me? But like, yeah, I just uh, I remember when I first stopped drinking, it was. A, like I was uh, self-conscious of other people and like asking me questions because I was never the guy not drinking. So I would always get like a, a soda water with cranberry, like, like, so it looks like it, cause it comes in a little tumbler. It looks like a little mixed drink. Like, so yeah. nobody would ever question it, but, or say something weird to me. So it's like, it's just so bizarre. The, the, the games that you play in your head, like anyone you really feel, gives you, a shit about it. <laughs> you felt self self-conscious because you weren't drinking in the it? in the beginning for me yeah but it took me about four attempts to stop doing all that shit so yeah um, good. We, we grew out of it i mean how long have you been sober uh from drugs not long um uh, coming up on six months but alcohol five years well done man well done thank you i had a bunch of surgeries neck surgeries and that kind of spiraled out into a bunch of other bullshit and you know Obviously. how that works yeah, and all that, and then uh, pot was a legal thing, and so that was becoming where everyone's like, "You can't get addicted to that." And well, I I was. <laughs> I mean, the the amount I was doing like twenty four seven had to be, you know, out of my brain. So it just became <laughs> a thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, weed's one of those things, man. You just you build up such a tolerance to it that you can just smoke it all day. 
Right. And that's where I was at. Yeah. I mean, it was to the point where I knew if I had to do an interview like this or like an in-person thing, like, or work, like I could restrain myself for the most part, uh, because I know it would, yeah, that, that that would have turned out real bad, but, um, because, but just having only like that minimal amount of self-control wasn't enough, you know, to keep, like, I had just had to do, get rid of it all. Yeah. It's, it, it's gotta be done, man. Like I started having panic attacks. I had, I, I was dealing acid at one point and I just had it on me all the time. And I remember I went to like a, like a little holiday with some friends when I was younger and I had a bad trip. And since that point, I was never, I wasn't able to smoke pot again because I just had anxiety, like breakdowns. Um, so that stopped, I stopped smoking pot regularly at the age of like 19. Mm-hmm. Great. But then I just turned to booze. Booze was the only thing I wanted to do. And then I started doing coke, like in my final year of uni. And I started doing mm-hmm. more. Um, and yeah, it was just those moments where like everyone had left the party. Because I used to have people around my studio all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would bring like random people back. Like at one point I had like 20 people back at my studio that I didn't even know. Yeah, so I can keep the party going, and say, like, "Is that kind of thing?" L- luckily, nothing was broken or stolen. But Jesus, I was gonna say, yeah, you can run yourself into a dangerous situation that way. Exactly. That's that's how you get yourself into like a, a really bad place. And I just re- remember being, you know, six, seven a.m. in the morning. Everyone's left, and you're by yourself, freaking doing the dishes and like cleaning everything up, and just wanting to like cry. I just wanting to like completely just feeling like that hole in your chest and being like, wow, this is low. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not going to be able to like cope with the week. So I'm just going to stay in bed for the next four days. And I knew that was going to happen. And it's just like, it's all of that. Plus songwriters are very emotional people and we have to express our emotions in a very clear way, I think. And I think if we don't acknowledge them properly and we don't, if we can't, if you can't confront it sober, you, you know, you, you, it's not going to be easier to do it on drugs because all drugs or alcohol does is sort of, it numbs it and it suppresses them, but it doesn't make them go away. Sure. It's like, you can't, you can't actually go through pain by not feeling the pain. Pain, Right. Right. You, you have to like, you have to take, you have to take the, the, the actual pure unadulted version of that trauma or that, that depression or whatever, and you deal with it and you suck it up and it, you're allowed to analyze where it's actually come from and what it stems from. But drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol don't allow you to do that. They just go, oh, it's not, it's fine. Just leave it till tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Just mask it. Yeah. You yeah. can deal with that later. Yeah. And it's not good. And a lot of people do that. And I think, yeah, I think we, we live in a society that's overly medicated. I think. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. That's a, un- yeah, understatement. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's wild. But uh, sorry, I cut off your advice just because I thought that was cool that you oh, that. brought that up. But that's the biggest fucking, that's the biggest piece of advice I can give. I'd say enjoy yourself, but watch yourself because there's a lot of people out there who normalize drug abuse and they think it's okay and it is, it is just going to kill you in the day and it's going to make your entire life worse. Like if you stop doing drugs and you stop drinking, your life's going to get better. Second piece of advice, um, find time to work out and look after your body. Find time to work out, look after your body and eat well. Um, Because that doesn't necessarily cost much either. Not doing drugs and going for runs and doing body exercises is free. doesn't cost any money. Um, I would also say in the industry, don't feel like you have to force things because nobody's going to force your that things come naturally. Like I'm not saying don't work hard, like work really hard and don't stop working on, on music, but like also don't get, don't be the guy who's or girl who's, who's staying up all night, every night, trying to finish a song, trying to finish these deadlines for productions do things in smaller increments and like, don't stress about it. Like I've been in that situation where I used to pride myself on, Oh yeah, I'm the guy who will stay up until 5am working on a record. And it's like, none of those songs came out. 
It's like the the industry is full of like yes men and chances and you know you you could send a song to someone on one day and they'll take it and on another day they won't and you need to just be kind of like you need to roll with the punches and take the pressure off yourself and stop like yeah basically don't force it finish the song get it done but mainly just focus on like like don't don't focus on like the perfections of it yeah like if you're pitching a song to someone it's it's all about the vocal and it's all about like the cause and the feel of it and the concept and the lyrics like don't don't lose sleep over like just over analyzing stuff you know if it's like getting late and you're tired get some sleep it's the best thing you can do honestly and then wake up the next day feeling fresh like having that routine is so good even though it's hard to do in this industry as a producer like myself or like a writer you've got to give yourself time to breathe and you've got to give yourself like leeway um and stop like be be okay with saying no be be okay with like just getting away from the computer for a bit going for a walk and just taking your time off because it's so easy to get like emotionally overridden and like uh, your brain gets full of so much stuff It, it there's yeah it's just keeping calm and like not stressing too much about what if just get the music done enjoy it